Hello and welcome to Resourceful, stories from the site, proudly brought to you by Resources Unearthed. At Resources Unearthed, we help executives, professionals and business owners in mining and resources to be successful both personally and professionally. We've created this podcast to help you in your employment or business, and we'll be chatting to people who have a proven track record of success in the industry. Thanks for joining us. Today on the podcast, we're sharing a conversation our contributor Craig Barry had with Scott Linderblad on the Digging with Accountants podcast. We found this conversation to be highly valuable and hope that you enjoy. If you'd like more information about the Digging with Accountants podcast, head to our show notes. This being our first episode, we've decided to discuss a case study covering a complex real-life client case. Naturally, the identities of the individuals involved have been obscured for privacy purposes. Whilst writing this case study, it dawned on me that listeners may find it difficult to believe that a situation like this could actually happen in real life. But trust me, it did. It might sound cliche, but this is a cautionary tale of what can happen when a perfect storm of adverse events collide with a taxpayer who has been poorly advised and is wholly unprepared for the typhoon approaching. Without further ado, let's get started with the case study. Thanks, Craig. Look, first of all, I just want to point out that this was a fairly complex matter and whilst we have tried to simplify the facts and issues to make it suitable for the podcast, there's still quite a bit of background information to take in. So, look, what I'd say is pay attention and let's just hope that you don't find yourself in one of these situations. So, look, this case study is about Charlie um, or who we'll call Charlie and Charlie was an engineer who worked for an ASX-listed exploration company. As is often the case for these sorts of companies, he and other key personnel were paid a modest salary for many years on the promise that if a viable resource is found in one of the company's tenements, then they would be generously rewarded. Now, during the lean income years, Charlie and his wife at that time raised their two children in a small outback town close to the company's tenements. Unfortunately, Charlie's marriage to his first wife didn't last and his ex-wife moved away to more hospitable climate and Charlie remained in the outback town dedicated to his work. Charlie subsequently met Joan and they continued living in the outback town close to his work. Then jackpot, Charlie's employer discovered the mineral deposit they'd always hoped they'd find and true to its word, his employer agreed to generously reward him for his many years of hard work and dedication. Suddenly, Charlie found himself many millions of dollars richer and thanks to the allocation of several million company shares and options all for free. With this newfound wealth and a new partner, Charlie began making plans for the future. This included joint finances and the setting up of a self-managed super fund. Charlie and Joan were the trustees of the SMSF and on Joan's urging, they decided a significant amount of Charlie's company shares several million dollars worth, would be contributed to it. Realising they needed advice to complete this transaction, Charlie's partner visited the town's local accountant. Unfortunately, being from a small town, the accountant had little experience dealing with SMSFs and was unfamiliar with the complex laws relating to superannuation contribution caps and taxation. Nor was this accountant familiar with employee share schemes or managing large amounts of money. 
In particular, the accountant was ill-prepared to issue a warning about the significant tax and regulatory breaches that would occur if Charlie and Joan were to proceed with the planned multi-million dollar contribution to the SMSF. Now, for those who are not aware, there are annual contribution caps that apply to limit the amount that Superfund members are able to contribute to their SMSF. And at the time of this case study, when it was live, the penalty for excess contributions was 47% of the excess. Further, employee share and option schemes are also subject to income tax, with the tax levied to the employee being rewarded for their efforts, notwithstanding who the shares are actually allocated to. And this full amount is subject to tax, well, effectively the amount that was provided as the discount is subject to tax. And in Charlie's case, given that the entire amount of the shares were provided for free, effectively the uh, market value of these shares would be subject to tax. Now, having not been warned of the issues, Charlie and Joan went ahead and carried out an off-market share transfer of the company shares in order to make the in-specie contribution to the SMSF. At this point, Charlie and Joan were oblivious to the significant tax and superannuation problems that had occurred. Soon after the SMSF transaction had been completed, Charlie was down at the pub discussing how he'd managed his financial windfall with a co-worker. At this point, we expect Charlie was feeling somewhat pleased with himself given he had just transferred a significant amount of his wealth into the low-tax environment of his SMSF. As it turns out, however, the co-worker Charlie was speaking with was also the recipient of a vast number of company shares, but unlike Charlie, he had sought qualified advice on how best to manage the windfall. Charlie's co-worker quickly realised the dire situation Charlie had put himself in and immediately raised his concerns with Charlie. Charlie, of course, was very distressed upon hearing this from his co-worker and realised that his error could result in hundreds of thousands of dollars in penalties and back taxes. Then, to make things worse, not long after receiving this terrible news, but before he could take action to rectify the problem, Charlie died suddenly and unexpectedly given his age and general health. Following his death, it was determined from Charlie's will that he had always intended for his now adult children to receive all of his assets as an inheritance. However, poor or perhaps non-existent estate planning advice meant that his estate would not receive his SMSF superannuation balance, which remained under the control of his new partner, Joan, as she was the remaining trustee of the SMSF. Thanks, Scott. So what was the aftermath of all this sort of calamity or this perfect storm? Ultimately, rather than leaving a handsome inheritance for his now adult children, Charlie had created a devastating financial legacy that would take years to sort out and cost his estate hundreds of thousands of dollars to resolve. It also caused enormous emotional distress for his children and a close relative who had been appointed as, as the executor of his estate. Adding further insult to injury of the earlier poor advice, the local accountant proceeded to lodge Charlie's final tax return without the executor's permission. This tax return had outlined to the ATO the vast amount and value of employee share schemes and options that Charlie had received in the period prior to his death. While the tax return was later withdrawn by the accountant, the ATO was now well aware of the tax position of the deceased, which was a significant tax liability. Not surprisingly, the ATO followed up several months later with a demand for the situation to be addressed. Realising the need for expert counsel, the executor of the estate contacted a Brisbane law firm to take up the case. Those lawyers quickly realised the complexity of the issues and engaged 
our firm, William Buck, to deal with the complex tax matters associated with the matter. I was actually personally involved in this particular matter. Working closely with the lawyers, we determined that the FMSF had breached its contribution cap by approximately $2.5 million. Primarily as a result of the employee share schemes and options received, Charlie's estate owed approximately $3.5 million to the ATO, of which around $1.5 million was made up of interest and penalties accrued due to the late lodgement of the final tax return. Charlie's final tax return had many errors in it, which required correction. The SMSF was now fully controlled by Joan, who was entirely uncooperative, and Charlie's estate was teetering on bankruptcy due largely to the ATO penalties and interest levied. As a result of the above, Charlie's adult children had more or less given up on any hope of receiving the inheritance their father had intended for them. So, collaborating closely, Craig and the lawyers formulated a plan that was based on clear and open discussion with the ATO. And look, that's probably one of the best ways to treat these cases. Don't hide it, get involved with the ATO and be open and honest. They then gathered and reported the facts to enable a negotiation with the ATO on behalf of the executor and Charlie's children. Craig was successful in persuading the ATO to waive in full the $1.5 million of accrued interests and penalties that had been levied to the deceased estate, and this waiver was at least ensure the estate could remain solvent until administration could be finalised. Without cooperation by the remaining SMSF trustee, Joan, there was no avoiding the penalty caused by over-contributing to the SMSF. Joan refused to admit any amount of fault and ultimately the SMSF was heavily fined and the entirety of the remaining balances in the SMSF remained out of reach of Charlie's children. A small portion of Charlie's company shares and options had not been contributed to the SMSF and as as such remained in Charlie's estate. These shares were sold along with some other modest assets accrued by Charlie over his lifetime with the proceeds distributed to Charlie's beneficiaries. Thanks to an improvement in share price at the time, in the end, Charlie's children received around $500,000 each. So settlement of Charlie's estate occurred approximately three years after his death and cost well over $500,000 in legal fees. Whilst this was not the ultimate outcome for Charlie's children, this was ultimately the best that could have been achieved in these circumstances. Thanks, Scott. So I guess why we're here today is to discuss, well, you know, the case study is interesting. There's plenty of things going on, lots of terrible situations sort of all happening all at the same time. But ultimately, the reason for having a case study is to discuss, well, what should have been done and what would we do today if a similar sort of thing was to occur. So I guess the first thing really to discuss is, well, what went wrong? Is all the blame to lay on the accountant? I, mean, I guess it's easier to say, well, the accountant didn't know what he's doing. You know, it's his fault. But you know, what are your thoughts on whether you know is the accountant the one to blame here, or, or would you sort of maybe share the blame with some others in this case? Yeah, look, it's always a good question. Whose fault is it? Who's the advisor at the time? There's obviously quite a bit of negligence here on the accountant's behalf. Just simply. Um, you know, we have a professional code of conduct to stick to and one of those codes is our having competence mm. and if you don't have the necessary competence to provide advice, then we should, you know, put your hand up and say, I can't do this, mm. we need to uh, recommend you to someone who can do it. And in this case, uh, you know, that was clearly something that should have happened mm. and had it happened, it would be you know, guaranteed almost that this whole case study would not have eventuated um, had he been referred to an appropriately qualified uh, SMSF or accountant advisor. Equally, though, I guess here, 
obviously Charlie's a clever guy. Like he's an engineer. You know, he, he's worked with an ASX company for a number of years. He's obviously a pretty smart fellow. So I guess equally to some extent, maybe he could have sort of thought about, well, you know, I'm out in this little tiny outback town, one horse town with a with one accountant and, you know, one pub, no doubt. You know, potentially he also has some blame in, in the situation in terms of, you know, maybe he could have known, look, maybe this guy doesn't really know what he's doing, you know, I'm not like your normal sort of basic tax return that you'd be dealing with every day. So, you know, I guess it's easy to say in hindsight, but I guess sometimes a second opinion is always a good idea. It could have been a bit tricky here because, you know, it could have been a couple of hours drive to the next town, but sometimes getting a piece of advice on a fairly, you know, unusual transaction or complex or just, you know, big dollar values, I guess, you know, it could be a simple transaction, but with lots of zeros in it. You know, sometimes you want that second opinion to basically go, well, do these guys know what they're talking about or not? So I guess that's maybe, you know, the other side of that is, is that maybe Charlie should have also potentially known better. And I think, you know, just commenting there in that in these sort of transactions, as you said, I mean, a self-managed super fund is generally uh, there's a bit of complexity involved there. So, you know, I guess there is a question as to originally why did Joan and Charlie want to put put a self-managed super fund together? Where did that come from? Who was directing that? And I think, you know, depending on... Sometimes, or as we hear all the time, when people hit a big windfall gain, they just kind of rush into things. And, you know, really the best approach is to take your time, get get the right advice, get the advisors around you, and then you can make some informed decisions. And listeners may have noticed by his absence, but not once did we mention in any of this the words financial advisor. And that's because there were literally no financial advisors involved at all throughout this process. There was a comment there about, you know, what the tax regime was like at the time, which sort of maybe gives a bit of aid to this particular arrangement. And certainly at the time of the situation or when it was live, um, the rules around setting up SMSFs were far more simple than what they are today. So today, people wanting to set up an SMSF, you know, they're basically required to go and get um, a statement of advice from a financial advisor, whereas at the time that this was done, that simply wasn't the case. And I guess, you know, in a way, if this was to have occurred today and, you know, they were wanting to set up an, an SMSF if it didn't exist already, that that would necessitate the involvement of a financial advisor. And potentially that could also well have been the difference in this case that, you know, a financial advisor basically would have anticipated some of the issues that have actually occurred here, you know, in, in relation to the excess and the contribution here. So I sort of, you know, again, wonder whether it's easy to point the finger at the accountant here, but again, I sort of wonder whether if the financial advisor had been involved as well, whether maybe this situation could also have been avoided. Yeah, very good points. So, you know, I, I guess it's easy to sort of say today, look, if, if this had happened today, you know, we'd do X, Y, and Z, you know, we'd be getting a financial advisor involved, we'd be making sure that the people on the file were appropriately skilled and experienced and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, ultimately, we'd like to think that, you know, if, if this sort of case study walked into our office today, we'd be well and truly prepared to look after it. But that's not really the issue at hand today. It's more about, well, if you are one of these people who is, you know, fortunate enough to be in receipt of, you know, large sums or, you know, even modest sums from your employer as, you know, a lump sum gain from, you know, long-term employment, those sorts of things. And it's very, very common in the mining industry to receive um, short-term, long-term share options and those sorts of things. Make sure they have the right advisors around you, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There are plenty of people who don't know what they're doing in this space and equally there's plenty of people who do. 
So make sure that when you are in a situation where you're dealing with things like employee share schemes that are very, very complex, things like self-managed super funds that have a lot of regulation around them, make sure you're dealing with people who have plenty of experience in those areas. And, you know, don't be afraid to ask for examples of their experience and make sure you're comfortable before you commit to these sorts of transactions, which ultimately, not only can they be very expensive if they go wrong, but they can also be very, very difficult to unwind if they do go wrong as well. So just something to think about. And I guess ultimately, that's sort of the transactional part of this particular piece. But I guess the next part of the arrangement that I was also quite concerned about was the estate planning. So it became apparent shortly after Charlie passed away that his intention was, even though the kids moved away with his ex-wife to the coast, after they broke up, you know, he still remained very much a dedicated father to those kids and, you know, wanted to look after them. And so to see that his plan was always to look after his kids and to, you know, make sure that they benefited wholly from his estate, but that they were unable to do so, again, makes me concerned in this case and, you know, I guess more broadly that maybe people aren't getting the estate planning advice that they need to get. Uh, I I know it's very common, and Scott, no doubt you come across this as well, but estate planning is always one of those things that people think, oh, one day I'll get to that. I'm not going to die tomorrow, so, you know, it's not important today. But but trust me, it is important. I touch wood, but the instances that we see of people who are just not prepared for, for something like that to happen and what can happen as a result happens all too frequently and it often ends up with fights and court cases and lots and lots of legal fees so have you got any thoughts on that particular matter yeah look craig i think you know you've hit it nail on the head there is the estate planning piece always gets missed everyone wants to do it knows they should do it um, i'll get to it each year i think that's the thing is that they, they know they should do it Yep. Oh, it always sits in the back of your yes. head. I mean, I, I'm, I'm no different. It took me a while. It always sat in the back of my head. I should get to this. I've had my second child now. Oh, hang on. I should get to it. And then we're like, no, let's get it sorted. But I think one of the biggest things as well is that people, whether they have shares or not, a lot of people don't always think that they have enough to warrant getting the proper estate planning done. But, you know, anyone who has a life policy, a death policy with a couple million dollars insured, you know, that is a significant amount of sum that will come into action when you pass away. So, you know, you may not always have the money right now, but we're talking about estate planning is helping you create a bit of a legacy to make sure that your family is looked after in the right way. And so it's something that just needs to be addressed early on, no matter how healthy you are, because day in, day out, we hear these stories of 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds, fitters, you know, running marathons and then just unexpectedly pass away. And it's just when it's your time, it's your time. time. It doesn't matter how much you, you know, us as accountants and advisors that tell our clients to do this. There's a lot of inertia to doing it. Mm. Um, But especially if you have been through a divorce, separation, you have a new partner. I mean, how many times have we seen the case whereby someone intended their wealth to go to their kids of their family but never got around to doing it properly? And then unfortunately, just through the way that things have been done, as you said, you know, this is a perfect case. The money went into their SMSF. The new partner was the trustee and no matter what you think of your new partner, ultimately we've seen too many cases where when significant amounts of money are involved, 
people change. Yep. And as much as we'd like to think that everyone will look after the other family plus their family, um, it doesn't always happen that way. And I know yep. you've probably seen that plenty of times. Yeah. If there's a significant either personal or financial event in your life, that should trigger some sort of at least a, an email to your lawyer about do I need to get my estate planning updated? So just um, a quick check, just nothing. It doesn't even have to be too much. Just yep. a quick, hey, what do I need to do? Yes. This has happened. Got an inheritance, inheritance or, yep. or come in case, into the shares? Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. You might. I've just come to a, a couple of shares. You know, it's a couple of million. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing much, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's just something that you just got to do. And you know what? For busy mining executives who just do not have the time, this is where your professional advisors come in place. Yep. You know, this is where you send them the quick email, look into this for me. Yep. I don't have time. You tell me. Yes. And that's what they're there for, right? Yes. yes. And then that way, everything gets locked off and you know that you've at least done the right thing and put that bit of thought into it. Yep. And maybe there's nothing to be done, yep. but at least you've checked it off, right? That's, that's right. I mean, there's there's no harm in flicking a quick email to your lawyer or your financial advisor or your accountant to basically say, look, you know, I've just had a new child. I've just transferred my super into a self-managed super fund. I've come into money. What should I do? I mean, in Charlie's case, it's obvious for you and I because we mm-hmm. sort of deal with this sort of stuff all the time. But yeah. as soon as you see, for example, Charlie, blended family, you know, he's got an ex-wife, kids with his ex-wife, immediately from an estate planning point of view, that is complex. And it's not simply a matter of, oh, it's just, you know, easygoing, nothing really changes. Unfortunately, from personal experience, once you do have that blended family situation, you want to make sure that it's sort of locked down as tightly as it can be because it's very easy to have significant fights, I guess, down the track if things aren't locked down as, as squarely as they could be. So I guess I, I don't want to half on it too much longer, but you know, I guess for people out there listening, it's really looking at those significant life events and trying to link those life events with just a quick catch-up with your estate planning lawyer just basically to say, look, does this warrant some sort of reconsideration of my estate planning? And equally, anyone out there listening again who doesn't have a will, please get yourself a will because there's nothing worse. Even if you've only got, I don't know, $100,000 in life insurance, there's nothing worse than not having a will and, you know, that all going sideways and basically being chewed up in legal fees. So just another takeaway there. Look, I'd say, you know, the estate planning ones we've kind of covered off. Craig, look, I just wanted to ask here, you have quite a bit of experience in the employee share schemes and dealing with mining executives and Mm. just executives in general. Mm. You know, I guess give the um, listeners a bit of comments here around if they are in this position Mm. where, you know, it may not be a windfall game, but they are each year getting significant amounts of shares vesting or they know that their options are coming up to vest. Yep. What do they do? If a lot of them we see, they might just have a small account at just doing their work year yep. in, year out, which, you know, it's probably fine. Mm. But then all of a sudden, they might be coming up with a million dollars in vested shares each year just because mm. of the way the market value of those shares are going. Tell us, what do you what do you do with clients like that? If they were to come to you and say, look, I've got a million dollars a share vesting, how do I deal with this tax-wise? And then, you know, what sort of other advice do you normally give those clients? Sure. So... As I sort of alluded to a little while ago, the environment around sort of advising in that space has moved 
reasonably significantly. So normally if that was the case, if I did have a client coming to me who was an executive in some sort, it doesn't have to be necessarily even mining, it can be any sort of space where there is employee share schemes on offer, significant values, etc. I'd be wanting to build a team around those sorts of clients. So make sure, you know, I guess the three primary parts of those teams would be an accountant, a lawyer and a financial planner, making sure that they will work in a coordinated manner to make sure that the client is being looked after. Because ultimately, we're allowed to look after the tax part and we're allowed to look after some of the strategy around things like estate planning and structuring and things like that. But when it comes down to, you know, for example, if you've got an executive who's worked for BHP their entire life and they get to the end of their career and they've got a huge bundle of BHP shares that they've generated from that time, which is great, you know, there's plenty of wealth there, plenty of value, but equally there's a lot of exposure there to that one particular share, which is potentially problematic. But unfortunately, it's also something where we can't advise them to say, oh, you should sell those shares. You know, we can basically say, well, there's a risk here, but you need to speak to a financial advisor. And so that's where having sort of those three arms working together, so, you know, the accountant working on the tax and the strategy and the structuring and those sorts of things a lawyer working on things like estate planning and you know other potential structuring sort of matters and then a financial planner who can actually give that advice on where that wealth should be invested and you know how best to diminish the risk in terms of the investments they hold and making sure that they're getting ready for you know potentially eventual retirement or planning for how to build a legacy for the kids or whatever the case is you know that's where there's a lot of overlap there between those three advisors but equally there's a lot of things that only one particular one of those advisors can actually advise on ultimately it's about sort of building that team and you know we've done that countless times for our clients where we've made sure that we've got that right team around our clients so that they feel comfortable knowing that things are taken care of as well as it can be at any one time you know it's not always going to be rosy you know the market might be going backwards or whatever the case may be or you know maybe their employer has had some sort of catastrophic event and you know their, their shares are suddenly worth a lot less than what they were mm-hmm. but if you do have those advisors in place hopefully the effects of those downturns can be mitigated somewhat substantially you know one thing i um taking from what you're saying there having that team around you for starters means you don't have to keep repeating your circumstances right That's so right. ideally it's not just three individuals mm. it's not a lawyer a financial planner and a accountant yep. it's a team who work together and share that information and Correct. so therefore they're all working for the client and you know that Correct. makes a lot more sense and uh yeah look i think as you're saying these executives and you're right it might be mining that we're focusing on today but there's plenty of tech companies out there making plenty of wealthy people um, through employee share schemes. So it's more about just, I guess, the employee share schemes in general there. Yes. If you're getting a lot, those rules are quite complex. Yeah. And um, you just want to make sure that you're aware of it because you don't have to be forking out for that tax bill every year unnecessarily. Correct. Um, or if you do, being ready for it, I guess, is the other side of it as well. So. Yeah, a bit of planning and knowing when yeah. it's coming, right? There's nothing worse than a surprise. I guess the other part of this conversation, which you know we can briefly touch on at the end, is the emotional distress of these sorts of things. So it's all well and good to talk about you know, the cost, you know, there's plenty of dollars involved in this particular case. You know, you could add a zero or take off a zero. It's still going to be a significant situation for, you know, pretty much anyone listening. But I guess the unmeasurable part of this particular conversation is around, well, for the poor people involved in the situation, you know, those sort of months and years of trying to fathom how could this possibly have taken place, it's not fair, various degrees of animosity to other parties involved, etc., 
this isn't the only situation where that can occur. Like, you know, you see plenty of situations where, you know, maybe there is good advice in place, but equally there can be significant amounts of emotional distress involved. And depending on, you know, your particular views, often those emotional issues can be resolved somewhat. I mean, obviously things like, you know, death and those sort of things are obviously quite emotionally distressing as they are, but adding to that distress through sort of poor planning such as this is quite difficult to get your head around for those people in the circumstances where they're trying to sort of pull the pieces together so again for people out there listening if you do have a situation where you are concerned about potentially what the emotional distress might be to your family and loved ones etc again feel free to have a chat to your accountant or your lawyer or financial advisor say look you know i want to make you know something just happened to me i don't want fights i don't want people sort of expending unnecessarily emotional energy on something like this uh, you know, i want people to be able to move on with their lives if that's indeed what you want because certainly again there are strategies you can put in place to try and mitigate a lot of those sort of situations as well so again just just something to just some food for thought and i guess you know we're often looking at those sort of solutions from an accounting point of view how we can try and mitigate some of those emotional stresses you know as an example self-managed super funds and trusts for our i guess our older clients we're always trying to push them into having corporate trustees because having individual trustees and the death of a trustee etc can be again quite emotional Mm -hmm. not only in terms of just having to do paperwork but more in terms of you know if there are significant investments going having to go to each of those investments and getting those details updated that's where the emotional distress comes into play if it's sort of a repetitive thing like that so i guess we're we're trying to do what we can but people involved should also be trying to think about those sorts of things as well and i think you know that's the the emotional distress piece is definitely the case. We just see it time and time again. Just it's it, you know I still am always surprised uh, every time that something pops up, and you think here's a straightforward case. This should be straightforward, no issues. And then all of a sudden, one of the family members throws a spanner in the works, and it just turns into this dragged out process over 12, 24 months, completely unnecessary. Yep. And I think also you know one of the key things there is. Make sure that when you're looking at this estate planning or with your accountant, your advisor, whatever it is, make sure you get it clear what you want to happen, not just what you think will happen. You know, get it across what are your intentions, what do you want to happen with this money because ultimately, you know, I, I always think back to one of these cases where um, I can't remember off the top of my head what it was called, but it, it involved a self-made super fund once again. It was just the father in there and then he had put the daughter as an additional trustee, but it left the son out of it. You know, no issues. His son, I don't think, was around or it was fine and there was no issues with it, right? And on paper, that looks fine. But then the father passes away and all of a sudden the daughter just has a disagreement with the brother. Yep. And next minute, instead of sharing that money out of the self-managed super fund, because she was the sole trustee and there was no binding nominations or anything in place to force her to share that money with the brother, she decided to just take it all for herself. And now, I mean, I'm a parent, you're a parent, like... You like to think that your kids love each other and, you know, we've all been siblings. We have a bit of fun and may dislike them, but in the end, we're going to look after each other, right? Yeah. But to be honest, humanity shows us that that is not always the case. And in this case, there's obviously no more Christmas dinners there, but it's one of those things where just if you, as much as we like to trust everyone, you also got to get 
go and get the right advice yes. and make sure you get your intentions clear as to what you want and let the experts you know translate those intentions into clear facts yes. and you know make sure that from a legal point of view those intentions will stand up um, because yeah it just Day in, day out, we just commonly see it and you just think, how could this happen? But no, look, I think this was a great case study, Craig, a really good one to start off with. And I know you were personally involved on this, so uh, I have been through it with you before and and it still blows my mind every time I read it that I just look at this and think this should be a theoretical case study um, on all the things, you know, all the wrong things that you should never do in practice, but here it is live. Real case. Real case. But no, I was really great so look thanks Scott. so i think we've sort of covered off everything we wanted to cover off today so i guess i just want to thank everyone who's listening for tuning in to our first mining resources podcast hopefully next time around we'll have maybe a slightly more upbeat topic to discuss there's nothing more depressing i guess than talking about death and divorce and taxes and things your presenters today have been scott Lindeblad and myself craig barry Please feel free, if you've got any questions about today's topic or any other topic, feel free to shoot them through our website at williambuck.com. And we look forward to hearing from you and hopefully we're with you shortly with a new podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resourceful, Stories from the Site. We'll be back in a month with more tips and insight from our other industry leaders. We'd love to connect with you. You can find us on all the usual social channels and our website, resourcesunearthed.com.au. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode.